All right, we got a hot episode for you. We got uh, uh, talk about me and Hannah pooping in the woods, peeing and pooping in the woods. We got talk about Bigfoot and how Hannah got started in comedy. This is the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name's Dusty Slay, and she is Hannah Hogan. Great to be here, Dusty. Yes, what an exciting time. We got a, uh, here we are back in the studio, back in our home in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's very exciting. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsors. Uh, we have a sponsor called the McBailey Candle Company. They make great candles. Uh, friends of mine from Charleston, uh, Rich and Clara Bailey, uh, they have a candle company. Uh, they have great candles. They have candles that uh, don't use a lot of awful chemicals. A lot of can- candles, they smell great, but you're breathing in toxic chemicals, not McBailey candles. So if you want to get some of these candles, you can get 25% off your candle by using the code GOODTIME. So go to McBaileyCandleCO.com. That is M-A-C-B-A-I-L-E-Y CandleCO.com. Use good time and get yourself a discount on some candles, on some good candles, some candles that are going to smell great, and make you feel good, but, you know, not fill your body with toxic chemicals. Mm. You and know? scent is one of the most underrated of the senses, I think. It is, you know, I mean, because, you know, when something smells bad, you don't like it. Sometimes you don't notice something until it smells bad. But when it smells great, you're like, mm, this makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Makes me feel good. Makes me feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. It can bring back memories of childhood or former lovers. Yeah, good or bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So careful what your scents are. But mm. McBailey Candle Company, they got all the good scents. Yeah, they got only only cherished memories yeah. of scents. So go ahead and order some of them candles so that and use that coupon so that they like being our sponsor. You know what I mean? <laughs> Get that good time coupon. Yeah, get use good time and order yourself a candle. You get a good discount, and uh, they got us some candles on the way. Uh, we haven't gotten any because uh, we just talked about this recently. So ours are on the way, and we're so excited to get them, to burn them, and to come back and tell you how dang good they are. We might make love to them, you know, next to us. Probably will. Yeah. Probably will. But we're going to keep the podcast PG-13. Yeah, we so won't talk about that. We'll just say we cuddled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, here we are. We're excited to be back. Let's get right into it. This is our first segment, my favorite segment, where we've been, where we're going. Where we're going, where we've been. Yeah. So first off, where where have we been? And uh, I'd like to start with you, Hannah. Where have you been? Well, I had a great weekend in one of my favorite cities, Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, I was featuring at the Punchline with Mr. John Heffron. All right. Great club. Great comedian. Love John Heffron. Yeah, I had a great time. It was my first time featuring at the Punchline. I had been there previously hosting. Right. And so it's actually really hard to transition from host to feature. Sometimes people just always look at you as a host. And I've actually had that happen to me. Um, but a uh, big shout out to Marcy at the Punchline and Jamie the punchline for bringing me in to feature. And I featured for John Heffron, who I'd worked mm-hmm. with before. So I, I enjoyed that. And we had a great time. We had pretty much nearly sold out audiences every single show. And I had to work clean. So that was a fun thing for me to do. 
and um, really had to clean it up. Yeah, yeah, I had to clean. Well, I didn't really have to clean much up. I mostly just had to leave things out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, but I had a really good time, and I sold merch for the first time. Dusty. All right. Yeah. Hannah sold some shirts. She has shirts that say Canadian Famous on it. They're very nice shirts. I wear them a lot. Same merch places I go to, Future Shirts, and uh, right here in Nashville. And uh, they're great shirts. Have we talked about my merch dilemma on this podcast? I don't know if we have or not, but let's let's tell them about it. Hannah has ordered uh, shirts, and uh, we've been sitting on them for a while. Well, I ordered shirts about three months ago. Mm-hmm. And, And, you know, I didn't realize the depth of my insecurity until I was faced with having to step outside after my set and sell these shirts. I had never done that before. And I really did find it very uncomfortable. It's, I don't really enjoy talking to people after shows. It's not something that I like or look forward to. And most of the time, if I can, I try to not do it. But, um, you know, stand-up is a job, and you can make a tremendous amount more money if you sell merch after shows, especially when you're a feature because you don't totally. get paid a lot as a feature. So it really became a domestic issue between Dusty and I because I had spent about $1,000 on these T-shirts, and they were just sitting in the closet for the duration of the summer. And, you know, I went on that trip with some girls, and they really kind of pumped me up to sell it. And they're Americans, you know, so they got me into it. Dusty's American, so he just said, you know, don't be ashamed to hustle. Don't be ashamed to get that money. And, 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 and you know, the thing is, part of it for me is I'm not out there just to make money. Now, obviously, I want to make money, but I also want to give people that like my comedy a good product. So I never wanted to sell a T-shirt that I didn't believe in. I never wanted to sell a CD that I didn't believe in. And I also have hats. I believe in them. I think they're good-looking hats. They're good-looking shirts. I think they're not only are they good-looking, but they're also comfortable. And I don't charge a lot for them. So I think that we're it's a win-win for everyone because people like my comedy. They go, hey, let me buy a shirt to support this person. But then when they do, they also get a good quality product. And that's what I'm all about. That's what you have too. And it's like – why would this not be a great partnership between me and my, uh, you know, quote unquote fans? Because take those quotes off; they are your fans. They are my fans, but I just want they're, they're also my friends. You know what I mean? So I don't I don't want it to seem as though you know they're just fans. They're my friends. Absolutely. So it was a big win for me. I had great shows. I sold some merch, and I grew as a person. Yeah, and you made some money. Yeah, I made a lot of money, and it's great. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. You know, being able to provide a product. That meets a need for someone else while also you make a profit. America. Yes. It's amazing. It's an amazing system, and I, I really enjoy it. Um, Where were you this weekend, Desi? This weekend, I was in also one of my favorite cities. Uh, the last couple of years, I've had uh, the pleasure of performing at the Comedy Catch in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, which was a place I didn't get into early on. And the the owner there, uh, Michael Alfano, just started booking me like last year, uh, maybe two years ago. And uh, I worked my way up from feature uh, to headliner, and this is my second week headlining, and uh, it was incredible. I love it. The audiences that come there are great. I took my friend Brian Bates to feature for me, and uh, we just had a great time. And it was just a really fun uh, weekend. The audiences that come, my my family came to the early show on Saturday. My my sister and brother-in-law and my nephew have just moved to Cleveland, Tennessee, which is really close to Chattanooga. And they work at this company, and they've made these new friends, and they brought all their friends from work. And then my mom and her friend Lisa came up, and so we had you know 14 people 
of my family and friends that came uh, to the one show. And then some other people, a lot of people came back for the second time wearing uh, my wolf shirts. So talking about a quality product, these people wore the shirt into the show. And uh, it's a great time. We had some wolves howling at the moon on, on these T-shirts. And uh, I'd like to figure out a thing to do where I could give people something for wearing the shirt to the show because I love it. I think it's great. And uh, I don't know what that is because I already give away pictures and stickers. I'm giving away lots of things that I pay money for. So I, I don't know how much more I can give away. But I'd like to do something because I like it. And I did you know, uh, five shows there, two Friday, two Saturday, one Sunday. Very fun. And uh, I just had a great time. I got to hang out with my sister and brother-in-law. Me and me and Hannah uh, went to uh, uh, lunch with my sister and brother-in-law and nephew to the Western Sizzlin in Oodlewall, Tennessee. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'll tell you what, that was a fancy Western Sizzlin. It, it, it was. You know, I make fun of Western Sizzlin in my act, but I only make fun of it for fun. I mean, Hannah knows this. I love Western Sizzlin. Yeah. I mean, there's been a couple that have grossed me out on the road, but I love a Western season. Yeah. I mean... We went to one. I won't say the location because it's it's actually one of my favorite ones. But we went one time <laughs> and we got some we got some weird colored meat up in the steaks and uh, I had to send it back. I, I don't know that I've ever sent food back in a restaurant and I had to send that back. I was just like, this, is, this doesn't look safe. But don't say which one because it's one of my favorites. I won't. And I'll tell you what. The first time I went to Western Sizzling was, you know, my first year in America. And I had a good time. I was excited. The buffet was overwhelming and exciting. Um, It's been pretty much downhill for me since then. Mm. I, you know, I get a little sick of the Western Sizzling. The food just is underwhelming sometimes because I, I mean, there's a lot of food, but I usually only go with you know, three things. And honestly, the best part of a Western Sizzlin to me is the dessert. But I'll tell you what, I went into that Oodala Western Sizzlin Sunday and it picked up my spirits. It was really something, wasn't it? It was fancy. Yeah. It had like glass over top of the food. And and we were in there on, on, on a Sunday a little later. And so you get a lot of the church people from the black churches. Oh, and, we saw uh, the fanciest hats. Yeah. And they're real dressed up. And oh, it's, uh, it's a real treat. I it mean, was beauty. All the men had the real like Steve Harvey suits on and the women had big hats. Big hats, and it was fun. It was fancy. I love to see people dressed up on Sunday. It's and, too uh, bad that um, the gay community has taken the rainbow flag because otherwise I think it would go to the black church. Because yeah. Because the black church people, they got every color. Well, yeah. And, I mean, it's just fun to see people dressed up. That, when I used to work at Western Sizzling, that's what would happen. At about 1230, you get the white church crowd. They would come in, flood the place. And then by the time they leave and you get it cleared out, about 2.30 hits, then you get the black church crowd. And then they come in and flood the place and just packs out one church crowd right after another. And it's just fun. It was beautiful. Yeah. It's a good time. I enjoyed it. But then you had other shows this week. You've been really busy. Yeah. Monday I got back at a private show here in Nashville at the Westin. Uh, just a private thing for a business. And uh, uh, it was fun. We had a good time. It was outdoors, which is never a good idea for a comedy show. But with some other local guys here, uh, you know, Doc Kennedy, Kyle Castro, and we did a thing and it was a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, very fancy. A lady in the elevator stopped me on the 27th floor. Uh, we were going up to the penthouse and the door opened on the 27th floor. And she said to me, she was like, you know, where are you going? Are you going to the GDP party? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going the next floor up. She goes, well, there's a private party up there. 
And I was like, yeah, that's where I'm going. And then she goes, oh, well, we don't allow ball caps in here. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, well, we'll see. You know what I mean? <laughs> you had yourself a pretty woman moment there, didn't you? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I think so, yeah. When when Julia Roberts comes in looking all not classic Julia Roberts, and she's like, you're not good enough for this store. And then she came back later, and she's like, oh, you are good enough. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it just is the way that people say things. You know, it's like, this is Nashville. Like, I feel like there's some, there's a huge, like, non-countryness sweeping through Nashville. And I don't, I'm not sure that I like it. Mm. I want to... I want to petition to keep Nashville country. And, well, uh, I mean, you know, it's being mainstreamed. You yeah. know, it's it's really growing and you see it, you feel it. There's a lot of construction. There's people moving here all the time. But my feeling is, why, why you know, like every place that you go, you know, it's great to have growth. And, and I love growth because if you're not growing, you're dying, as they say. I love growth. But why change what makes a thing special? Do you know what I mean? Like any city you can go to and get, you know, the regular things. But Nashville is known for the countryness. And so it's like that's the flavor that it has. Let's keep it country, you know. Let's keep eating hot chicken. But that's the nature of capitalism, you know. If something starts working, people want to pounce on it. And Well, I mean, again, I'm for capitalism. I'm for growth and I'm for making money. But that doesn't mean you have to lose the flavor. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's keep that spice. Exactly. I mean, you can you can make things – uh, grow and make them nice, but you know, don't don't come at me about my hat. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Don't come at me about it. You get back from him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let the man keep his hat. So, and then last night I did a show at Zanies with Kathleen Madigan, uh, my favorite club, Zanies, and uh, Kathleen Madigan is great. She packs it out every time. She's very funny, very nice, and uh, I really enjoyed the show. She pitched my shirt for me, my wolf shirt on stage, and then. Um, and then the, uh, old former mayor of Nashville, Megan Barry was at the show. So that was pretty exciting. Now, should we fill in a little Megan Barry gossip or does that feel inappropriate? Well, I don't even think it's gossip. I mean, it's, it's mainstream. Yeah. And it's not even hearsay. It's true. Yeah. I mean, she got in trouble, uh, earlier in the year. They found out that she'd been having an affair, uh, with a security guard. I mean, I think she was married, and they and he and he was married. married, yeah. And they, but you know what? You know, I mean, I think that's a, it's a classic thing that happens where people work too close together, and they 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 get into it. You know what I mean? Right. But they uh, she lost her mayoral job. Yes. Yeah. So that's because why, that's why we say former. Mayor. Well, because there was some money stuff involved. Yeah. yeah. Whatever that was, some some money came up missing. So but how how did Megan feel? Does she seem like she's doing well? She seems like she's doing fine. That's great. I mean, I, I got to imagine, you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, in Rocky Five, when Rocky is, he's the world champion, but Paulie has lost all his money. And they say Rocky can't get any endorsements because he used to be a loan shark. That's the big flaw in Rocky Five. See, Megan Barry uh, was a mayor, and then some stuff went down, but I just find it hard to believe that Megan Barry is not going to be able to find some work. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She made her way up to being a mayor. We sure as hell know she's going to be able to find a man pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does fine. She does fine. She does fine. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's where we've been. That's where we've been. And where are we going? We're going this weekend together with Aaron Weber. Hannah is going to probably going to get on some of the shows, but, you know, mainly she's going to go and uh, and be my wife. Or merch girl. Well, you keep saying that. <laughs> 
Hannah keeps calling herself my merch girl, and then if I even acknowledge it a little bit, she gets mad at me about it. Oh, so well, I like to pick a fight with Dusty sometimes. Yeah, so she goes, don't demean me. And I'm like, <laughs> you called yourself the merch girl, not me. So she's just going to go and hang, you know? Normally, because I don't have any shows booked this weekend. Actually, I did. I had a local show here in Nashville, but I canceled it. Yeah. Um, normally, I would just stay home and rest up, but... We've had pretty busy summers, and we haven't been hanging out a lot, so I, I was... I, so she's going to go on the road yeah. with me like old times. Yeah, I'm going to be a wife this weekend. We used to travel together a lot, and yeah. uh, so, uh, so, but we're doing a show in Richmond, Virginia. All this stuff is on my website, though, if you'd like to check it out, but uh, yeah, I've been doing a show in Richmond, Virginia tomorrow night. Uh, this may... I don't know. I don't know when this will go out, but Thursday, August 30th, I'll be in Richmond, Virginia. Um, message me for details, dusty.slay at gmail.com if you want. Uh, but again, it's all on my website. And uh, f- Friday and Saturday, August 31st, September 1st, I'll be at Kazi's Comedy Club in Newport News, Virginia. Been to Kazi's several times. Love it. Love it. That went, We went to a grocery store there one time that was very scary. But other than that, love it. Love the town. Uh, we've done some fun things. Um, and then this is Kazi's is where you stay. Uh, in the, in the house with another lady, and we're upstairs, and she's downstairs, and, uh, and it's going to be three of us this weekend. Three of us, and then uh, we're going to go to on Sunday, September second, to Fayetteville, North Carolina, to the Dog House Tavern, something like that, uh, Bonkers Club, and it's going to be fun. So uh, it's going to be a real road trip of a weekend. I think Saturday is the first week of college football. Yeah, it's September 1st. Which I'm pretty excited about, uh, except that we probably won't have a TV to watch anything at this condo in Kazi's. Right. So that's pretty sad. Mm. But the first week is never the best, but I think LSU may be playing Miami. You were saying to me the other day you were fiending for some college football. Well, sports are – I don't know. I mean, NBA is okay, but I don't know. I don't like any of the other sports, and I just – you can't listen to ESPN anymore. ESPN used to be so fun. But now they're not talking about anything but BS all the time. They're overanalyzing things to death, and it's just like, let's just let's just get me pumped up for the games. I'm you know? sorry that that's happened to your sports. Yeah, I know it is a shame. So I'm excited to have college football back because I do like college football. Mm-hmm. You know, Roll Tide War Eagle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People hate that, but I love them both. And more of a CFL fan myself. <laughs> Well, yeah. All right, we're fun. Not the college football league. That would be Canadian football league. Mm. So, and uh, so, yeah, we really, you know, wanted to get into that. All of that stuff is on our website. Look it up. See what's happening now. Uh, we'd like. We haven't done. We're not going to do an advice for new comics because, well, what other advice is there? Let's be honest. We've given a lot. What other advice is there? We'll think of something later. Yeah, we're. I'm. I feel sick of giving advice. I'm like, figure it out yourself. Well, I don't. I don't feel quite that way. But, <laughs> I'm uh, kidding. You yeah, know, I'm kidding. I'm having fun today. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I got. I got my southern accent turned up right yeah. now. And uh, but here's a conspiracy that you know I've never really believed much in this, but it's popped up a little bit, and I think it's kind of interesting. And it is Bigfoot. Mm. What do you know about Bigfoot, Hannah? 
Well, I'm familiar with the tales of Bigfoot because, as you know, I come from the north. Mm-hmm. And in the north, there is the boreal forest and the Canadian shield and its wilderness and its lakes and its cottage country and its wilderness and its bears and its buffalo and its moose and its Bigfoot. Right. So, yeah, there's been a lot of urban legends about Bigfoot, mostly uh, him residing in the northwest, so in Alberta, Vancouver, in that in that area. Yeah. And uh, to tell you the truth, I wouldn't put it past Bigfoot to be a real thing. I think that is quite possible. Who knows what kind of giant specimens are rolling around in the forestry. Right. See, I agree. See, I think that we think that we've seen everything. We think that we've discovered all the animals. And I think that Bigfoot, to me, Bigfoot, any pictures of him looks like the cross between a bear and some type of monkey, right? So why could that not exist? We know that monkeys and gorillas and orangutans exist. Many different kinds of bears exist. Why could there not be a hybrid? Why could there not be some kind of animal that's a little bit like a monkey, a little bit like a bear? Now, the mythology of Bigfoot, I'm not sure how long it's been going on. I would say probably in the last century is really when it started being relevant. So do we think it's the same guy? Or is it like Bigfoot has a family and now we're talking about his grandkid? I'm thinking it's a whole species. You think it's a species and not just one thing? Oh, yeah. No, I don't think it's one guy out there. See, I thought it was one guy. Oh, no. I think there's a species of Bigfoots. Mm, But then wouldn't you think it would be easier to find them? You would think, but they live deep. (laughs) They live deep, eh? Well, see, this is is why it's come back up. I was riding up to – a couple weeks ago, I went to uh, Ohio, up around Cleveland, and – as I was riding, I was flipping through the station. And I found this channel on the radio, and it was like some conspiracy channel. And they were talking about – Oh, what a dream come true for you. I know. I was like, this is great. The last hour of the trip was amazing. Mansfield, <laughs> Ohio is where I was at, and I was heading up. And this guy – it was pretty late at night. And this guy was saying that in the northwest, like Seattle and Portland, those areas, Washington and Oregon – uh, that because of all these wildfires that have been happening in California, the forest is getting smaller. So there's been more sightings of Bigfoot lately and violent sightings, not Harry and the Hendersons Bigfoot. Like you remember that movie, Harry and the Hendersons? I mean, yeah, I think about it every day. Okay. <laughs> well, John Lithgow's in that. And, you know, John Lithgow befriends Bigfoot, Harry, and he's so nice and sweet. And then this one guy is like doing drawings of Bigfoot and he draws him like real angry like and I remember they get all mad about it. But they're saying that these the Bigfoot is more of a violent thing. Well, but if, if Bigfoot's habitat is being destroyed, he probably isn't eaten as much. He's probably lost a couple friends. I mean, you'd yeah. be angry too. Yeah. So I don't know if it's real or not. We didn't watch any video to prep for it, but who hasn't watched a Bigfoot video? The thing about it is, is it's like people, when when you do ghost hunters videos, right? Like when they're like, there's all those videos. They never find a ghost, but people still believe ghosts exist, right? But they also do Bigfoot hunters and they never see Bigfoot. So they think, well, he doesn't exist because you never see him. That's what I'm saying. I think that Bigfoot could just be outsmarting us. Oh, absolutely. Bigfoot knows how to hide. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the mystique of Bigfoot 
If he was easy to find, I mean, who cares? Right. We think as humans that we're so smart that if we can't find you, then you don't exist. Well, we were talking about senses earlier in the episode. And I mean, I would like to think that Bigfoot, Bigfoot has, you know, extreme senses. He has yeah. a heightened sense of smell, heightened sense of, of hearing. Right. And of, of eyes. I mean, he could hear a human breathing 25 right. miles away. And maybe if someone is so good at tracking things in the woods that they're able to sneak up on Bigfoot, maybe they don't want to expose him. Yeah. They're one with nature. Yeah, I mean, maybe Bigfoot's greatest talent is uh, behooving someone to love him. And then, you know, as you love someone, you want to keep their secrets and you yeah. want to keep them protected and safe. So maybe everybody that actually meets Bigfoot falls into a deep romance with Bigfoot and then just goes back into society and says, I'll never let anyone hurt you, Bigfoot. Could be. And, you know, there's also um, a lot of people that go missing in the woods every year. This is a real thing. The YouTube this, uh, missing people in the woods. There's a lot of people that go missing. They don't know how they go missing. They're just gone. Kids, people just disappearing into the woods. Maybe well, they, Bigfoot's getting them. I mean, we can only dig so deep into the earth. So what if Bigfoot has some sort of... Seven miles, I think it is. Yeah. I mean, so what if Bigfoot has some sort of key or knowledge about the inner sanctuary of, of earth? There is some hollow earth theories what out if, there. What if he knows how to dig into some cave and caverns and... I mean, the wilderness is a uninhabited territory. Right. Really. I mean, what if Bigfoot is just so vicious that anyone that finds him doesn't make it home? I'd like to think that he's more of a lover than a hater. Could be. Could be. And there's also um, there's a theory out there uh, that – now, I don't believe this one. A lot of them I'll, I'll lean into and be like, you know, well, maybe I believe it. Maybe I don't. I don't believe this one. But there is a theory out there that a guy says that – the Bigfoot and Abominable Snowman, they're called hominoids, right? That would be their, their their term. And these aliens, the Anunnaki aliens, needed to mine the earth, right? They needed something from earth. And they, they couldn't train the Bigfoot, the hominoids, to do the work for them. But they couldn't – but the Anunnaki aliens couldn't exist on earth because the sun was too close. So what they did was they came, they bred with the hominoids, and the baby of the hominoid and the Anunnaki is the human. So we are that uh, offspring, and we're doing the work for the Anunnaki. That's not very Christian, Dusty. I know. That's why I say I don't believe it. And, uh, <laughs> but it's an interesting theory, and uh, uh, I think that's fun. It's just more Bigfoot talk. Yeah. You know? Well, I think that there's a lot of mystery to the world. And I think if you stay open to mystery, then you are more likely to land on at least angles of the truth. Totally agree. I just think that, that people so much, uh, we think that we just figured it all out, that every all questions are answered. There's no more mystery left, no more questions to be asked. And I think that's boring. Well, I've been seeing a lot more stuff about Bigfoot. Um, I read Jezebel, which is like an online feminist satire magazine sort of. And uh, I just saw today that they had some sort of Bigfoot article. So the fact that they're speaking on it, I yeah. feel like I've seen Joe Rogan post about Bigfoot. Bigfoot's popping up. Yeah, something's going on. Something's going on. Yeah. And especially the abominable snowman type deal. 
because there's just like if something is able to survive way out in Antarctica or in the North Arctic, I mean, it's like if you're able to survive in those type of conditions, we're not tracking you. We're not going to be able to find you. Mm-hmm. And we, we're we not as sneaky and clever as we think we are. And here's the other thing. I mean, if Bigfoot is in the family of the bear family, I mean, bears hibernate, right? What if Bigfoot, because he's like a different part of that species, what if he sleeps you know, 11 months a year and he only comes out for one month. That's true. Maybe that's why we never see him. That's true. That's a good point. You know, we're, we're thinking in human seasons. We got it. We got to get out of our box. Right. And, and think if, in the Bigfoot world. And if scientists found Bigfoot, would they reveal it to us? Nah. I don't think so. Yeah. I think they would trap him and they would try to extract his DNA and figure out how to work it into our DNA so that we could be bigger, faster, stronger. Mm. And then we have humid Bigfoot hybrids playing football. Mm. Maybe we finally get the NFL back where it needs to be. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> if we had Bigfoots out there playing, then we wouldn't worry about their health. You know, and then we could go back to some smash mouth football. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's well. a pretty good. Only in dreams, right? Yeah, but keep your eye out for Bigfoot. If but, anybody sees Bigfoot, if anybody has a Bigfoot tail or thought, let us know. The point is, yeah, yeah. Please do let us know if you got a video, if you got a picture. Don't send us a picture you captured from the internet. Mm-hmm. And don't send us a picture of your ugly husband. <laughs> Unless he's so ugly that we're like, nah, that's kind of like Bigfoot. <laughs> 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 But uh, so the point is, uh, I think. What is the point? <laughs> that I've never believed in Bigfoot, to be honest with you. But I think I'm coming around to it. Now, I'm not going to go crazy and go trying to hunt him down. But I think there's a possibility that Bigfoot exists. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think he, I think, I definitely think that there is a beast, beasts in the wilderness. That we don't know about. Yeah. I also believe that the Loch Ness Monster exists. To be I, honest. I've been to the Loch Ness. I mean, I, I think that there's definitely oceans that we can't explore, that we can't get to. Who knows? Maybe this, maybe this dang thing. Now, I know that Loch Ness is like in this lake, right? Did you just hear me? Yeah. I said, I've been to Loch Ness. Yeah. I, was, I was up in uh, Scotland. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so we drove by it, and we had this old Scottish hermit driving us around, my dad and I, and he said, this is Loch Ness. And, uh, okay, I'm not going to try to do that. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and it looked like a creepy old lake, and then I researched some of the pictures. How big was the lake? Yeah, it was, I remember it was long, like it wasn't. I mean, does it look like a great lake? No. Oh, see, I don't think there's that. No, 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 it was, it was what I'm saying, it was, it was long, it was almost like the Mississippi Lake, a long river. Okay. Now, this is back almost 18 years ago, I was 20 years, not 18, 13 years ago, I was 20, and uh, so there's no telling, but. I mean, it's Scottish folklore, really subscribes to it. It's a creepy area. Scotland itself, once you go deep up into the north or northern areas of Scotland, it's very mystical. It's yeah. very, yeah, very fresh, all wilderness. It's very rural. So, yeah, without a doubt, you feel like there could be some fantastical creatures. Mm. And there's a lot of lakes and things like that. So Yeah, see, I think there's some stuff out in the water that we don't know about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they used to say this Lake Martin uh, it was a lake around Alabama. They used to say that they had these – the catfish in there got so big. 
I was told that there was like a car wreck in there and they had some scuba divers in there looking for it. And this one scuba diver said this giant shadow of a catfish came over his head and they just left. Wow. So I don't know. Mm. So I think there's definitely some stuff in the water that we don't know about. Yeah. I like these tales. Yeah. Well, it's more fun than just being like, nope, doesn't exist. It's like, why doesn't it? Maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't look like. You know, that picture of the Loch Ness, they've proven to be faked. But people out in these tribes that they've talked to, there's tribes out in some of these places that said that, yeah, that there's dinosaurs in the water. I don't want to live in a world that doesn't allow for the possibility of Bigfoot being real. Me too. So I'll Or Loch Ness. Put that on the right. Maybe the name of it's not Loch Ness. We don't have to call it that, and it doesn't have to look like that. But there's something out there in the water. There's something out yeah. there. Yeah. There is. Yeah. Because they talk about, you know, like the shark, the megalodon or whatever. They say the giant, giant shark that eats other sharks. I never heard of this. Megalodon? Nah. You never heard of that? Nah. We have to look that up. All right. But I, I think that there's a lot of animals that are out there that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Living in places we don't know about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm at with it. All right. And I've spent a lot of time in the woods. I'll tell you, growing up, I used to play in the woods all the time. And sometimes we would get way far out in the woods. This one particular story, me and my friend, Costa, were way out in the woods. And uh, and we were out there, and, and I had – it was wintertime, and I had multiple layers of clothes on because I didn't just have big clothes. But I had a lot of – like I had several pair of pants on and then coveralls. And I was out there, and I built this rope swing out there in the woods, which was very genius of me. I took a rope, tied it around a rock. I threw the rock over the tree limb, made a knot in it, tied it up, had a stick. We could swing off the side of this hill. And by the time we got out, I mean, we'd be way above the ground because I'm I'm off a cliff, basically. We would swing. We would just do that for for hours. We had a great time doing it. It's really fun. One time I was out there, and... uh, with Costa and I had to poop, right? And I was like, well, there's no, you don't have time to make it all the way back to the house. So you're like, we got to do it out here. So I went down pretty far away from Costa, down by the creek, and uh, I did my business, right? And then uh, I got all dressed back up, and then I was going to play a joke on Costa. I was going to pretend like that I had fell and got this log trapped over my leg. So I got down on the ground, I put this log over my leg, and I was like, I was like, Costa! And I kept screaming his name, and then finally I see him start coming. But I can tell by his mannerisms that he's irritated that he has to come over, you know? And uh, I'm like, oh! And I was going to be like, oh, I got trapped in my leg. But by about the time that Costa got right up to me, I realized that I had sat down in my own poop. And uh, (laughs) so right about the time that Costa got to where I was going to have my big reveal that I had faked him, he gets there just in time to see that I had sat in my own poop. He saw? Yeah. So so the joke was on me. And then I sat down in a pair of pants, and I had so many pair of pants on that I just took those off and buried them in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's nasty. That is nasty. How old are you? Uh, Probably 12. Mm -hmm. Maybe younger. Mm -hmm. Not older. But old enough for it to be etched into your memory. Yeah, I mean, I the mean, first practical joke that 
went awry for you. Yeah, I mean, we used to play out in the woods all the time. I mean, I peed and pooped in the woods lots of times. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but I never sat in it, you know? <laughs> Normally what happens is I do it and leave it, and then nature breaks it down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's how God intended it, but you had other plans for it. Yeah, I had to sit down in it. <laughs> I have a similar story. Okay. Do you want to hear it? Yes. I didn't know if you had more to add to that. I nah, nah. Cut it off. Nah, I'm done. Well, actually, I had a similar story. Also occurred in winter, um, but Canadian winter. So much more dire circumstances. So let me set the scene a little bit. Every winter, uh, there was something called the curling bonds feel. Curling is a favorite pastime of Canadians, and I uh, was a part of that. All right. And, yeah. I had so, no idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we went down to the local Keene Arena, which is the small town I grew up in, and and uh, I was put into a team, and uh, my brothers were on the team with me, and my brothers and his friends. Uh, so we were all on the team together. I wasn't really friends with these boys, but they were, you know, my brother's friends and stuff. So we were all on the curling team, and um, curling usually is played with huge, uh, giant, cin- like cement blocks. But because you know we were children, they were just made out of logs, like tree logs, and then just had a little handle on top. So then when we slide it on the ice, it's just logs. Okay. Very inefficient because they'll wobble over and not even make it to the circle. Okay. I don't know enough about curling to know that I fully understand, but I can see how a log wouldn't be the same as a cement block. A log, like a log that's cut like a cylinder. So the the flat part of the log is what you slide. Mm, Yeah. And then you put a little kind of metal handle, like weld a metal handle on top and then you slide it. Okay. And then there's different weights. So the older children would have the heavier logs and the younger children have the smaller logs. And okay. so I was young at that time. So I had the smallest log, right? So we, we were playing in the curling bonds field. It was a tournament, you know, so all the kids in the community came out and played this thing and it was fun. And then there was a lunch break and, uh, myself and my brothers went over to my brother's friend's house and he lived near a forest and, uh, what often happened to me being the only girl of a family of brothers is they would run off and I would just be by myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so in this instance, you know, all the boys went off and they started playing in the winter and they were just playing around and I was wearing my snow leggings and my snowsuit and my big winter boots and my hat, my toque, mittens, everything. You're wearing everything because it's freezing. It's in the winter, right? And they've just abandoned me in the winter in the forest and I... I'm wearing all these clothes and all of a sudden I really have to pee, but I don't know where I am because I'm just in the middle of this foreign forest because I'm at my brother's friend's house. I have to pee, but I'm afraid that they're going to come in and see me with my pants down and they're, you know, boys and I didn't want them to see me, you know, squatting and peeing. So basically I'm just thinking on what to do. And I just kind of sit down, just kind of demoralized in my conundrum. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to pee. It's freezing. And so I ended up just lying down and just peeing in my snow pants, just peeing in my pants on the ground. And I peed my pants, you know, willingly. Like, I just didn't know what else to do. And then I just kind of like lied in the snow, hoping that the cold would freeze the pee. Which it kind of did, but, you know, and then you feel gross because you peed your pants. Yeah. And I'm wearing like five pairs of pants, so it's like extra gross. And then so we get back to the house. I've sort of 
I don't know if I've hidden it from them, but I, I don't know what to do. I'm feeling shy. I don't know how to tell my friends, my brother's friends, parents, what I've done. And basically I just take off the snow pants and we go back to the arena and it was a rough game of curling. I'll tell you that much. Oh no. Cause I, I probably smelled like pee and I felt uncomfortable, but I had no recourse. This is of course before cell phones. My parents weren't around. So I was under the jurisdiction of my brothers and, and my brother's friend's parents. And it was just, you know, it was the day that I peed my pants in the, in the snow. Mm. Yeah. So I, but I was young. I was probably like seven or eight. Okay. Well, I relate. I've had some pee problems. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. The whole, the old, uh, you know, being in school and having to ask permission to go pee and not being able to pee, like sometimes the teacher wouldn't let you go. It's like, what is this? <laughs> We're designed, our bodies are designed to to pee. And when we have to, we have to do it. You can't concentrate on things. I get that kids make up that they have to pee so they yeah, go that's run around the say. halls. But when you got to pee, you got to pee. And it's like, put bathrooms in the classroom. Let me go pee real quick. You know what I mean? Like, I peed my pants in... Uh, Elementary school, I think twice. One time, I walked around with it like that for a while. Like I used my shirt to cover it up. Yeah, it was pretty sad because it was the day the fire truck had come and everybody was having a good time looking at the fire truck and I was pretty embarrassed. I probably smelled like pee too. I was probably not hiding it from anyone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can't hide pee. You can't. There was one child that was in my school and – they just kind of always had that faint scent of pee. <laughs> and I don't I know don't, if they were peeing their pants at school or they weren't washing their clothes. I or. don't think that was me. I mean, I had a couple of rough days throughout three years of elementary school, but I don't think I had a faint smell of pee about me. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you do, make sure you get those candles. Yeah. Yes. McBailey Candle Company can cover up the pee smell. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, I never had an issue with bedwetting, but that's obviously something that uh, follows some some kids quite into their teenage years. Yeah, you know what the thing about it is, though? It's just made to be so embarrassing where I just think, you know what? Sometimes you just pee on things, right? I mean, sometimes you just – you got to pee. Maybe you've eaten a lot of watermelon or maybe – and you just – just pee. Yeah. And it's like you wake up and and everyone around you makes you feel like that you've murdered someone and you're like, hey – Sorry, I peed the bed. Yeah, and then just and, and and then if you're too ashamed to to tell someone to help you, then you just become demoralized because you can you're just sitting in your own pee. Like that's what happened yeah. to me at the Bondsfield. Is mm-hmm. that I at the curling Bondsfield, I just sat in my own pee, and then I became disgusted with myself, and I was right. just an eight year old child, you know, and I and I shouldn't have done that to myself. Yeah, once in my twenties, uh, I was drinking and I was. I was dating a girl, and uh, we had fallen asleep on her couch at her house, <laughs> and uh, we we were both pretty drunk. And I woke up, and I had peed my pants and on the couch, mm. so <laughs> I was able to sneak up, and I got a towel, and uh, and then I just like kind of like covered it all up, and then uh, I don't think she ever knew. You didn't pee on her though. No, not at all. I was, but I didn't. It didn't get on her. Oh, it's amazing. Okay. It was amazing control. And uh, yeah, we made it through. And uh, that's what drinking does to you. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's a little less embarrassing if you've been drunk because I think a lot of adults that have a you know a healthy drinking thing in their life they've probably peed their pants. I don't think anything really makes it less embarrassing. I agree in a sense that you can go, "Oops, look cuz I had a little too much to drink." Right? <laughs> but uh, it's still embarrassing. Yeah, it you is. You know. So, but what do you do? You know what I mean? I just think there's some things built around things that it's like it's not that big of a deal really. I feel closer to you having told you that story. Oh, thank you. And I feel glad that I got to tell you about the curling bonds feel. Yeah. So, other than that time, though, when you would go curling, it would be fun? Yeah. It was really fun. We never won, but, I mean, it was a fun time because we lived in a really small community. And, you know, we would have to do things like that to kind of pass through the winter. And all the children in the community came out. And it was a huge tournament. It was probably, you know, over three or 400 kids participating in their different teams. But you would usually go with your friends or family and stuff like that. So you would know the people on your team. Every once in a while, I got teamed up with people I didn't know. And then that was not as fun Mm, because you're just like with these strangers. And I mean, Dusty, you've gone bowling with me. You know, I'm not good at these things. So, uh, you know, that I'm not doing well and these strangers are judging me and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, maybe this is why you get so mad bowling now because you think I'm judging you. And I'm like, no, let's just, Yeah, neither of us are good at bowling. Let's just bowl flashbacks from curling. Yeah, I mean, I have never been that good at any sports. I just find that it's important to just have fun in what you're doing. Well, growing up, we also, at my school, we had this thing called the Winter Sports Program. So I think uh, once a month during the winter, or maybe twice a month during the winter season, kids got to choose out of four or five things to do. Most of the kids chose skiing. You know, and they would all get on a bus and they'd go skiing, uh, downhill skiing at whatever resort um, that was closest to our school. But my family and I, we weren't skiers. And it was also the most expensive, which is probably why we weren't skiers. But we didn't ski. Um, So then, you know, 20%, the rest of us that were left had to choose between, like, curling, line dancing, and just staying at school. And the first year, I think I did curling, and then I didn't like it. And then I did line dancing, and that also sucked because it was just me and a bunch of old people at the Keen Legion. Um, yeah. I mean, I tried line dancing, too. Yeah. I mean, that was a, a lot of my family, my mom and my sisters were doing the electric slide and uh, <laughs> a few things like that. Well, actually, I always thought it was a bad line dancer, but then recently we were in Nashville and we did line dancing, and I really caught on to it quite fast. Yeah, you were good. Yeah, but I got really demoralized with the winter sports, too, because it was kind of a classist thing. I mean, my family, we had money. We were middle class, but we just weren't skiers. But most kids were skiers, and they would go skiing, and we just didn't do that. So by the end of a couple years, I said, you know, I don't even want to participate in these winter sports. So I just Mm -hmm. stayed in class, and I just, you know, went to the library by myself. Became a reader. Yeah. All right, well. Let's talk about how this is our final segment. And uh, last week we talked about how I got into comedy. So now we want to hear how Hannah got into comedy. Oh, yeah. Well, it's actually a similar story because Dusty talked about how you started with improv. And uh, that's similar to me. So when I was 21, I moved to Toronto and I was in Toronto for about six months before my theater school was going to start. So... Uh, I wanted to take an acting class and my dad said to me, why don't you go to the second city? And I'd never heard of the second city. I didn't really know what it was, but he said, you know, it's comedy. It's uh, it's John Candy. It's Gilda Radner. And my dad had sort of 
shown me all these people when I was younger because my dad's a big fan of comedy and stuff like that. And um, so I said, okay. So I signed up for Second City classes. And the first class sucked because it was just like clap focus. I'm like, improv sucks. Like this is a Pass the clap. Yeah, it was just like a – Zip, zap, zap. Yeah, it was just a bunch of bull. You know, I was like, this is brutal. I can't believe I wasted like 400 bucks on this. But then I got to level B and we actually started doing improv scenes. And I went up and I did my first improv scene and it was like a religious experience. Yeah? Yeah, because it was like everything clicked. I was like, oh my gosh. I love comedy. I was really funny. Like I did just this weird ass character came out of me and then I became obsessed with doing characters and I was the star of this class or that's what I felt like in my head. I'm sure I was pretty (laughs) rudimentary, honestly, (laughs) but it was a really life changing moment because I went from just wanting to be a dramatic actress to what kind of, how many characters can I play and what can I do? And I became obsessed with comedy from that moment on. And my first four or five years doing comedy, I was really into the second city and improv and sketch comedy. And I formed sketch troops with friends in college and I climbed my way through the second city and I ended up working for the second city. And then of course I booked a television show that was a sketch comedy television show. And so all of my comedy started with the second city in Toronto. And it was really, you know, interesting because again, I grew up in a really small town. Like I knew that comedy existed. My dad showed me old Saturday night live videos and stuff like that, like from the seventies. And I loved comedy movies. My dad let us watch a lot of comedy, but I honestly didn't know that stand up was a thing. I, I definitely didn't know that improv was a thing. Like I didn't know that people got together and they improvised and, you know, cause some high schools had that, but my high school certainly didn't have that. So I didn't even have the concept that I could be a comedian. I didn't even right. know that that was a thing until yeah. I went to the second city. And then, you know, I meet all these people that were working on the main stage and, you know, and then I start discovering the scene in Toronto and, and, and mixing in with different communities of improvisers and sketch comedians. And it was this exciting world for me. And, um, you know, at the time I thought I'd always be into improv and sketch because I was so obsessed with it. Um, but then like later on I got more into stand up and writing and stuff like that. But, but yeah, that's how I started uh, comedy. I mean, cause sketch and improv led its way to stand up. So, um, but yeah, it was a really, I mean, the second city really changed my life and my dad, you know, kudos to my dad for, for recommending me go to the second city. Yeah. Well, that's great. Second City's great. Yeah, I also met a lot of my best friends who are still my best friends at the Second City. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, improv is. I mean, it, again, it, you know, I know we skipped the advice to comics, but if I could, if you're looking to get into it or you're looking to improve your comedy, take an improv class. It's so fun. It's fun. You make some friends. You you connect with people in a different way because you're just in there. Uh, a lot of my friends that I took my very first improv classes with I'm still friends with. And I took my first improv class like 14 years ago and I'm still friends with a lot of those people. I'm definitely still friends with my improv teachers, you know, and it's just fun. I mean, uh, because it's a different kind of comedy than stand up, but you learn to branch out, you expand yourself and you get comfortable on stage because one, when you're standing on stage with someone else and you're having to come up with lines on the spot, I mean, I've had some amazing scenes and I've really bombed some improv scenes and it is not easy, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's so fun though. Yeah. And the tenets of improv, you know, I think are good philosophies for like 
life. Like stay positive. Yes. And, um, listen, you yeah. know, all those things I think are really good for acting, but also just for life. Yeah. And you also, um, you know, you, you, yeah, I mean, you just learn different things about, I think that a long form improv class is the way to go. Like learning long form improv, the games are fine, but I like a long form because that's where I feel like I learned the importance of callbacks and things like that. It's because what we would do is we would come out and two people would do a two person scene. And then the, their, their job was to throw out as much information as possible. Just say a bunch of things, and then we're sitting – the rest of us are sitting on the sides trying to take in all the information that they're saying. And then we go up on stage and start to create scenes based on the information. Like if they said, you know, my mom works at the factory and my dad uh, is a farmer, then the next scene would be mom and dad – Dad's a farmer. Mom works at the factory. They're discussing their days. You literally just described your actual parents. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Truth and comedy. Yeah. And uh, and then more scenes build off of that. And then we would have another two person scene uh, after about fifteen minutes. Another two person scene. And then the second half of the improv scene would all be callbacks. We would all bring stuff back from the earlier scenes. And the audience goes wild when this is done right. And it's so great. Yeah, there's nothing, even in stand-up, there's nothing more exciting than being in an improv scene that's really cooking. Oh, yeah. And as an audience, it's really satisfying, too, to really watch people just comedically connect. Improv done well is amazing. It is. And it's so hard to do it well. <laughs> I mean, so often improv is a fail. But the people who do it well, it's really great. Yeah. And and the important thing is I really think that, you know, maybe this is just what what I learned, but my teacher, I mean, what he had to say was, you know, basically don't try to be funny. He's like you are funny. Just try to create a scene and the funny will come out of that scene. And that's so much better than just going out trying to force the funny, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with it too. So uh, we got a few minutes left. Uh, Is there anything that that you have that you want to say? I love you. Oh, well, thanks, babe. That's sweet. Well, I have to say that I love you too. Uh, Else (laughs) it seems bad, but I... I don't like to take the podcast that way. I, I think know. That's, it's okay. That's weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, okay. just settle down. Oh. <laughs> and uh, we'll probably cut that out. Ah, oh, Dusty. Yeah, we'll have to cut the end of that out. It's, Do we? it's too weird now. It's not weird because we made a fun little joke about it. Have we? Yeah. Is it? The our audience will come to learn that I that I like to say things like that, and then you brush it aside, and it's like a fun dynamic, and it's like a fun inside joke. I'm having such a good time. I'm having a great time, <laughs> and you know what? I don't love you, so it's fine. Oh, well, oh, nice. now it turns. Okay, yeah, that's not very nice. I'm sorry. You I have a I John do. Reap coaster here. Uh, John Reap is a friend of mine, and uh, very great comic. Uh, I love John Reap. Mm-hmm. I just saying. I have oh, some- you love John Reap, huh? Yeah. You can tell you can express your feelings for him pretty easily on this podcast, I see. Yes. Hmm. I love John Reap. I love my wife. Oh, okay. And uh, 
But uh, yeah, just I'm noticing him. We have his coaster here, and uh, very funny guy. If you don't know John Reap, check him out. I like John. Uh, but I think that that's good. We'll probably wrap this up. Yeah, we don't need to make it longer than it is. Yeah, we've had a great time. I mean, we've covered a lot of fun things. We're having a good time. My friend Joe Denham came over today, and he's going to hopefully uh, help work on a jingle for the podcast. Uh, Matt Price has made our song that's on here right now, which I do like. So if Joe Denham makes the uh, a jingle, I'm keeping them both. Uh, have we given Matt Price like a strong shout out for sure his did. music? We so sure that's, did. We've made that known. Okay, we did. good. But Matt Price made the uh, along with another guy, and I, I apologize. I I don't know him. Matt Price brought him in to play the guitar. But, okay, uh, he's very good. We'll make sure we get his name next time. And uh, yeah, check out our social media. I'm at uh, at Dusty Slay on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, DustySlay.com is my website, and Dusty Slay on Facebook. Hannah, would you like to tell? Miss Hannah Hogan on Instagram, Hannah Hogan Comedy. That's it. Hannah Hogan Comedy. I've just abandoned Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. It's not even worth it. I, I mean, mean I, you can check out my Twitter, but I mean, I just I I haven't logged in in like a month. I don't even know why. I just I kind of just stopped, and it's not I worth it. haven't really cared. Oh, I want to say this: John McCain died, and it's always sad when people die. Uh, but I, my dad told me two months ago on the phone that John McCain died. And I was like, oh, no, I had no idea. He was like, yeah, he died today. And uh, so I thought that two months ago John McCain died. And I put that on Twitter, and this guy got mad at me, and he was like, that was classless. And I was like, ooh, take it easy. I'm just saying that my, my dad had this wrong. <laughs> that's that's all I'm saying. I mean, that's Twitter to me. It's just vitriol. Yeah. You, wherever you go, it's just people. It, it's almost like people have push notifications just to get angry. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't disrespecting John McCain in any way. I'm just saying, my dad, if anything, I'm disrespecting my dad for saying that he got that wrong. Yeah. But but it's too bad, you know. I always hate it when people die, but they're all dying, always dying, and it's sad. And Rest in peace, Jack yeah, McCain. Totally. All right. So, all right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we've had a great time. We're having a good time. This is the We're Having a Good Time podcast. 